Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to our show today. Randy, we are uh, walking our way through the book, talking to your kids about sex, and uh, we've spent the first three shows kind of in the introductory chapters, helping parents understand the reasons for the talk, uh, helping them to be able to talk to each other, understanding a model of healthy sexuality, and then last week we covered elements of uh, having a safe conversation. Finally, today on our fourth show in this series, we're going to move into the very first age period, uh, and we're going to talk about talking to your kids or helping them with sexuality in the very first three years of life. Well, Mark, one of the things that I was really uh, taken by in previewing the book, and today's chapter is on infancy and toddlerhood, which is uh, the ages of uh, newborn to three. Uh, You include throughout the book these uh, example stories. And I think the example stories are really helpful to the reader and to our listeners, hopefully, in the fact that it sets the table with a really realistic, real-life uh, example of how uh, these principles uh, apply. And I'd like to start today's program uh, with this, the sample story that you use. At the age of three, Sarah was a typical walking, talking, increasingly independent little girl. She enjoyed putting long sentences together and was rather proud of herself. She had courageously confronted her fears of others and tolerated going to daycare when her mom was going to have a morning out. Now it was time to finally master one of the great control issues of life, going to the bathroom on the toilet. Her parents had been very gentle and patient and affirming as they reinforced the big girl behavior. Sarah was almost there. One day, her older brother, John, forgot to close the bathroom door, and as Sarah walked by and saw him, she was mystified. She ran to her mother and asked, why does John get to stand up when he goes to the bathroom? (laughs) There is a real life uh, you know, that's right on target. Yeah, well, it's one of those teachable moments that we were talking about last week that uh, it's a you know, naturally curious question. And yeah, happening in, in households everywhere as we speak. That is exactly right. So the mother had to, at that point, learn how to talk to um, this little girl about the differences between uh, boys and girls. Right. Uh, so we're going to get to that in a minute. But as I get into this, uh, I'm, I'm aware, I'm having that sense that you know, there are people that uh, are are saying to themselves, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're, we're talking about uh, having these conversations with our children about sex, and now you're starting us off in a stage of life zero to three. There's no way in the world we're going to be talking to these kids about genital sexuality, intercourse, you know, where babies come from and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you're right, we're not, you know. But on the other hand, uh, there are so many... Uh, foundational things that happen during this uh, period of time uh, that can either set a child up well for later development, including sexual development, or uh, cause them problems later on in life. As I was reviewing this uh, this morning, I, I was uh, aware again of the fact of 
you know, how many times the, the men that I work with, and I've worked with thousands of men over the years, how many of them can trace some of their sexual difficulties uh, when they really think about it, even back to this period of time? And here's a rather uh, dramatic statement, I suppose, but uh, I would say that a lot of sexual orientation issues, sexual preference issues, gender identity issues are uh, established uh, during this period of time. So a lot of people grow up and in their adult life, they say, I, you know, I never consciously made decisions to have these preferences or this orientation or, you know, any of this. But I, I would contend that for at least some of these people, um, these patterns were established during this first period of time, zero to three. Well, what I like that you have done in this particular chapter is um, you focus in on, uh, I think a lot of us by nature take for granted some of the knowledge that we have uh, taken in over the years uh, that you address in this particular early stages chapter. And it's things like body awareness and body control. Right. And this opening story, mm-hmm. you know, kind of touches on two of them as, as Sarah is being trained uh, to, to yeah. use the bathroom correctly. Right. Uh, she's also um, uh, awakened to the realization that boys and girls are different, yeah. you know, and there's just a lot uh that starts to sink in from a very early age. And I can see that if uh, body comfort, if, yeah. you know, confidence in your body and, and, yeah. uh, and understanding how it all works uh, could have great ramifications down the road if it's not uh, taught properly. Yeah, one of the foundational pieces of this book is that it is based on the theory that throughout life we face certain developmental tasks, they're sometimes called. And many great psychologists over the past hundred years have identified um, what some of these developmental tasks are at various ages. And consistently, you know, one of the ideas that is present in all of these theories is that, you know, if you don't uh, correctly or in a healthy way, accomplish this developmental task, it, it uh, will leak itself into the next stage. So we you know, sometimes discover here that uh, we're dealing with people that really uh, have developmental issues that can be traced back to this particular period of time. Uh, Debbie and I were just working with a couple this morning, for example, and, and understandably, completely understandably, I mean, the wife's uh, central issue that she wanted to talk about today was how she can trust, again, her husband. Well, uh, given the uh, massive amount of infidelity on his part, I mean, that's a very understandable challenge. Now, you know, we're going to be able to work through that with her over time and and helpful, uh, hopefully help them develop their relationship. But let's say that this, uh, this woman, when she was a little girl in this age period we're talking about today, had parents who were not safe, who were uh, abusive in some way, shape, or form. Uh, uh, the, her father was uh, not a particularly kind or patient or loving uh, person. Maybe he was an alcoholic or whatever he was. You know, This is going to set up this little girl, uh, when she becomes a woman, to have you know, trouble trusting men. And so uh, that's kind of a basic example, I think, of how important the developmental tasks in this early stage are. Yeah, it shows the importance of the teaching starting very early because at first I I questioned myself, you know, is this too young to attempt to be uh, teaching these, uh, 
you know, these tasks and this level of understanding. But as you outline in the book, um, you give these example stories where you can see that thematically, these are all important uh, right. for for a child to be understanding at a young, young age. Right. One of the things uh, that is going to happen in every chapter is that I'm going to uh, divide up, you know, the the material here into the five dimensions of healthy sexuality that we uh, talked about in our second show in this series. So, you know, there's there's a, a physical dimension, a spiritual dimension, a personal dimension, a relational dimension, a behavioral dimension. So, you know, in the process of uh, this show, this half hour, roughly half hour show, we're not going to be able to get to all of that. So, we're going to have to summarize some of this. And uh, but be aware that uh, if you do ever want to look more specifically at the book, in each of those dimensions, uh, all of the tasks, all of the the uh, goals of that dimension are are talked about. And in each of those dimensions, I'm going to give you uh, sample conversations about things that you might might be able to talk to your uh, your child about. Well, as we go to break right now, I do want to remind the listeners, not being too self-promotional about it, but uh, the Faithful and True bookstore that is located on faithfulandtrue.com does have talking to your kids about sex available. So as we're having these discussions, and if you're intrigued on having this uh, book for yourself, please feel free to visit our website and the bookstore and order that online. You're listening to the Men of Valor program. We'll take a short break. And when we get back, let's take a look at healthy sexuality in the first stage of childhood. And uh, maybe the physical dimension would be a good place to start there. Well, we'll start with our task list, and okay. we'll identify those we'll take tasks it from there. in the various dimensions. And we'll be right back. struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at FaithfulAndTrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com. Time now for the Trigger of the Week. 
Trigger of the week. Uh, you reminded me yesterday to poll our uh, Tuesday night group, and our Tuesday night group is very large. Last night we had 17 men there, and uh, so I had them when they checked in last night just say, "What are you experiencing as a trigger of the week?" Well, it was a, a rather unanimous uh, input on their part that. Uh, because we're uh, recording this show on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Whenever you're listening to this, we're recording it on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So last night, Tuesday night, all of the men were anticipating uh, Thanksgiving dinners and celebrations, which obviously means, uh, for the most part, uh, just about all of them, we're going to experience some kind of family get-together. And uh, I know we've talked about this before in the show, but I think it's worth mentioning again that the the trigger of the week is uh, family gatherings. <laughs> you know, so oftentimes I think we can be misinterpreted. Uh, you know, we we are grateful for families. We are grateful for the love of families. We are grateful that families get together and celebrate significant occasions like Thanksgiving. And uh, there are times <laughs> <laughs> we're reminded why we don't live with our family members. We yeah. sometimes are, and uh, well, you know, let's just be honest that you know some of our issues go back to uh, dynamics that existed in our family. So to be around our families is sometimes triggering in that it reminds us of pain or loneliness or stress or anxiety uh, or some of the emotions that we learned how to medicate even early on with uh, sexual arousal and sexual activity. So, you know, being around your family, some of the guys I know said, I don't know why it is that I, you know, I go to Thanksgiving dinner and thankful and great to see, you know, the family. And I always come away from this, you know, more uh, vulnerable to my sexual temptations. Well, probably you've been medicating the stresses of your family since you were a, a kid. And uh, it makes a whole lot of logical sense, particularly in the neurochemistry of the brain, that your brain would remember uh, the old solution. One of the things we teach here is old pain equals old solution. So what we need to remember is that you can go into these family situations and you're learning new uh, solutions. And even if in the middle of a family gathering, you need to take a walk around the block and call one of your brothers in your group, do it because uh, you may need to be reminded of some of some truth. So once again, we have reinforced the uh, the importance of having an accountability uh, list and a, and, and a phone uh, a, a phone log uh, that uh, has uh, have these uh, support people uh, handy. Yeah, and I generally recommend to have those numbers on speed dial. <laughs> speed, speed dial if you possibly can. <laughs> yeah, last night one of the guys was saying he was around family and. You know, I've been having him measure his anger on a scale of 0 to 10, 10 being a full-blown rage attack. And he said, uh, I was with my family the other day for an early Thanksgiving, and in the middle of it, I, I recognized that I was at 13. <laughs> so, he was off the charts. He said, I felt like hitting somebody. So uh, uh, I excused myself, went outside, and just uh, sent out a mass text to you know all the guys in the group and Several of the guys were gracious and kind enough to respond to him, and it was enough to talk him down, and then he was able to go back and finish the family gathering. Well, anyway, that's the trigger of the week. Okay. Well, let's re, uh, return to our discussion here of the infancy and toddlerhood stage of, uh, of talking to your kids about sex. Let me just read uh, the list of tasks that uh, you know the average child will uh, accomplish during this stage. And... Uh, uh, 
I think when you hear this list, when it's kind of explained in a bullet point uh, way like this, it kind of gives you an idea of some of the the uh, vastly important things children are learning during this stage. <laughs> in fact, there have been some who have said 90 some or more percent of everything we learned is is learned before we ever get to school. So anyway, here are some of the things that a child needs to accomplish uh, during this early three-year period of life. Uh, number one, they're going to uh, develop an awareness of their body and its uh, features and uh, its functions. You remember how babies, you know, when they uh, are in that first year of life, their constant motion with their their arms and their hands and their legs and their kicking and, you know, everything is going at once. And, you know, what is a child doing? Well, they're experiencing uh, the control of their uh, arms and legs. And, you know, that's an important developmental task in this stage. Uh, also, of course, you know, we're learning uh, during this period. We like to think that all kids by the age of three, by the end of this period of time, have been uh, what we generally refer to as uh, toilet trained. So, you know, they're learning uh, the sensations in their body about needing to uh, have those bodily functions and they're learning how to control them. So, uh, think about it this way, parents. Uh, if you know you're not uh, doing toilet training well, it can create uh, problems. You know, how many people have I ever talked to who have uh, gastrointestinal difficulties? You know, problems with uh, constipation or whatever else it is. And I will guarantee you, some of this stuff can be traced back to shaming stuff that was done during this period of time. So, anyway, uh, this whole period of time, we're going to. Uh, teach a child about his body, how it works, uh, and uh, how to control parts of it. Does that? That makes a great deal of sense. The next one is incredibly important, too, uh, when you think about the fact that when a child is born, uh, it's been inside the mother for nine months, and so its sense of identity is totally tied into the mother. Now, when the baby is born, um, the mother is going to hold and nurse and... and uh, and uh, you know, otherwise feed uh, a child. The father is going to have that kind of um, bonding with a child as well. And uh, it, you know, the identity of the child in those early months of life are really, uh, you know, my identity is the same as mom. I and mom are one, or I and dad are one. And somewhere along the way, you know, in that first year of life, a child is put on the floor. Eventually, you know, remember the series of tasks? I mean, they learn how to roll over, then they learn how to get up on their hands and knees, and then they learn how to crawl, then they learn how to pull themselves up on the couch or the chairs, and then, you know, the miraculous moment happens when they, the first steps. they take their first steps. So now, when they have accomplished this motor development, then it allows them to have the monumental experience of going into, motoring into another room. Now, mm -hmm. at first, it's probably just crawling into another room. And uh, they, they, they get in this other room, and they look around, and they see they're the only ones in this room. <laughs> <laughs> now what am I going to do? Now what do I do? It's All like right. panic sets in. And, you know... Uh, parents, you know, at this point, you know, are, are to go in and and uh, uh, comfort and, uh, you know, tell them it's okay and all this kind of stuff. Now, gradually, a child is experimenting. So they're going out uh, and then they're coming back. They're going out and they're coming back. Oh, good. You're still here. 
Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. When yeah. you think about that statement you just made, yep. you know, that's a massive amount of trust, isn't it? Right. That uh, I'm going to go out and then I'm going to come back and uh, uh, I'm, mom is still here. Yeah. And that's a trust experience. Right. And uh, people who have problems with trust later on, you know, maybe there were some more frightening situations. Uh, I think, by the way, if, if we do this well, then this allows us eventually to go to school come home at the end of the day trusting that somebody's going to be there right uh you have your son just home from college well when he drives his car back from iowa state he's going to hope that you and mom are there welcoming him he was thrilled to see we still live there (laughs) (laughs) he he hadn't uh, He, uh, he wasn't panicky or anything he was he was pretty sure we were going to be there well you know it's a going out and coming back or going out and coming back so these kind of early tasks are you know incredibly important we're establishing a a sense of uh separation that we have our own uh, individual identity when you think about this this is incredibly important um the third thing we were mentioning in our opening story in that in this stage we're going to teach the kids uh, in healthy ways the differences between male and female. Now, you know, to do this, we, we may show these picture books or, you know, something like that about the differences between boys and girls. We're not going to get graphic. We're not going to be exhibitionistic about this, but we are going to maybe show them picture books that this basically explains the differences between male and uh, and female. And again, we're going to look for that teachable moment, like in our uh, opening story. Number four, by the way, as I'm looking at these, all of these are incredibly important. That sense of being safe, uh, that uh, their needs are going to get met, that they they can be hungry and cry and they're going to be fed. Uh, they're going to uh, uh, have uh, uh, dirty diapers and they're going to get changed. Uh, they're going to be kept warm. They're going to be uh, allowed to sleep and rest. Um, it's that again, developing sense of safety that you know they're they're not going to have terrible things happen to them. Now, unfortunately, we know that there's many many of the people that we work with who even during this stage of life were were not treated safely. You know, they had physically abusive experiences and sometimes even sexually abusive experiences during this period of time. All right, uh, we're going to learn to trust ourselves and learn others. That's the next uh, bullet point here. Trusting others, uh, we're going to be around perhaps other people, other family members, and uh, we're going to hopefully be living in a safe environment. Uh, learning to control our own bodily functions is one of the ways we learn to trust ourselves. Uh, we're going to be able to experiment on uh, our own and learn how to do that. Now, when you think about this, one of the the monumental things that a kid learns how to do during this phase is, in fact, to walk. And uh, uh, think about this, parents. This is your first experience in life in letting go of your child. So uh, now this experience is going to repeat, <laughs> you know, innumerable times Or when you hand them the car keys. Yeah. Throughout uh, life, this is going yeah, to keep happening. This is going to keep happening that you have to trust them. So uh, they're learning to trust themselves and uh, they're learning to trust others. Uh, during this period of time, you know, they're learning how to eat and how to eat appropriately. They're learning how to talk. That's incredible <laughs> developmental experience. They're learning how to walk. They're learning how to control bowels and bladder. So um, 
I just want the parents to think about these lists and, and just think about this word, foundational. All of these tasks, as basic as they are, and we all accomplish them at some level by the age of three, you know, think about how it's done, the safety with which it's done, the affirmations with which it's done, and, uh, you know, if we are able to even talk in basic ways with our kids, you know, in safe and healthy ways, this is going to provide a wonderful foundation for conversations later in life. The list of tasks there did not include the spiritual dimension, but we know that even at this age, children are going to start having what I think are, in fact, logical questions even about God. Uh, A lot of parents uh, are going to start praying with their kids, you know, when they go to bed. Uh, They may be having family devotions. And don't be afraid of questions that come up about God. Uh, one of my favorite stories actually is about our oldest, uh, Sarah. Uh, I was sitting down at her bedside, and we were going to do our evening prayer, uh, or bedtime prayer, which was a basic, you know, prayer. Uh, and uh, so I said something to the effect of, you know, shall we pray uh, uh, and talk to Jesus? And Sarah said, no. Um, I she's three. I said, no, I don't want to talk to Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the the uh, the the pastor part, the preacher's kid part of me said, "What? What? What? Who's, who, we have who's, to talk to who, Jesus. Whose child are you?" <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, uh, but when she explained it, you know, it made obvious sense. She said, uh, uh, "Well, you know, uh, I I I think that Jesus doesn't really like me," and I I said. Really? Tell me more about that. And you say, well, you know, you and mom talk to me every day. Grandparents come over all the time and talk to me. Um, my friends occasionally come over and talk to me. But Jesus has never come over to the house and talked to me. Think about how linear and logical kids are at this age. You know, he, she, she hasn't seen Jesus. He hasn't been in the house. He hasn't talked directly to her. So uh, now what I'm cautioning parents against here in this particular dimension developmentally is if we want Jesus to be a resource later, don't come across with some black and white statements about, you know, how stupid could you be to think that? I mean, I think what's important there is just to say, you know, this is a great question. And uh, there's a there's we don't have time for it today. There's a wonderful example of a conversation in the book about kind of helping the child uh, get to what will eventually be what we call abstract thought, that we can think about a person even if we've never actually met that person uh, face-to-face in person. So anyway, there's some important things here in this chapter. It's foundational. Be patient, be kind, be affirming, lots of healthy touch, and uh, those are your major responsibilities during this phase. You've been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. This is the Men of Valor program, and uh, we thank you for joining us today. We're going to continue this exploration of talking to your kids about sex on our next show as well. In the meanwhile, my name is Randy Everett. I'm your co-host, and we thank Ben Laser, our engineer. Uh, and on behalf of all of us, we'd like to wish you and your families a very happy Thanksgiving. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at FaithfulandTrue.com. That's FaithfulandTrue.com.